Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik. I recently heard Maya Herbsman speak at Theater Bay Area's annual conference about her work as an intimacy choreographer, a person who stages sex scenes or otherwise intimate scenes on stage. She told all of us there that as part of her job, she makes sure she's the most aggressively comfortable, chill person in the rehearsal room. I wanted to know how she got that way, how she achieves aggressive comfort when diving deep into the corners of human relations that make most of us extremely uncomfortable. I wanted to know how she found her way into the profession, a very new one, but performing an age-old function. And I wanted to know the state of her field. Are fellow theater practitioners supportive, interested in collaborating with her? Are they skeptical? We talk about all this on this podcast today. You can catch her work on stage next in Cutting Wall Theater's production of Eugene Ionesco's The Bald Soprano, translated and directed by Rob Melrose, and running June 5th through 16th at the Exit on Taylor. So welcome, Maya. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So we're here today to talk about intimacy choreography, and why don't we just start out, if you don't mind, saying what that is. Yeah, so intimacy direction, intimacy choreography, intimacy coordination is... All those interchangeable? Uh, excellent question. Intimacy coordination is for film oh. and television, and intimacy direction or choreography are used in theater. Well, there you go. So there you go. Now you know. That is a field that is essentially a counterpart to fight direction. It is saying that instead of what has traditionally been done in the past when it comes to scenes of an intimate nature, which is kind of go do it and good luck, um, that actually we need to choreograph that. And so it's taking scenes of intimacy, which could include a simulated sex scene, a kiss, a hug between family members, nudity, a first touch between Romeo and Juliet, whatever that might be, whatever feels vulnerable and intimate, and making that specific, technical, repeatable, and highly choreographed. So that, just as in how fight choreography, you'd be making sure that no one gets physically injured, right? That you would never hand someone a sword and hope they don't kill each other. Hope for the best. <laughs> you hope for the best, exactly. That this is saying we're not only protecting actors physically, but we're protecting them emotionally. And so it's sort of covering all of those bases of physical safety, emotional safety, psychological safety, and trying to, I mean, at its most basic, it's it's treating actors like human beings, which sounds, uh, it sounds so basic, but in our industry, actors are so often asked to do things that are unsafe, unfair, or downright abusive. And so it's saying you are a human being and you have agency over your own body. And we're here to help you make sure that stays the case. So pre-intimacy choreography, it really would just be like, hey, guys, we've got a sex scene here. Uh, Can you go off and figure that out? By yourselves? Thanks. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, you know, of course there's a range. I mean, I think the most typical thing that would happen was exactly what you just said Mm. is essentially good luck, go do it, go make out in a corner and come back and tell me how it went. Um, And then there's the other option, which is 
you know, actors in vulnerable positions, maybe wearing not a ton of clothing with some figure of authority telling them to make it dirtier. Oh, make it sexier. Stick your hand there. Right. And so, yeah, trigger warnings abound um, (laughs) in this subject. And so this is putting the actors first um, and making sure that it all choreography comes out of a place that is safe for them and not just go have fun, good luck. So one of my questions was going to be, why do we need intimacy <laughs> choreography? But you kind of just answered that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think I, I maybe did. I mean, I think, you know, people ask me this a lot. Why do we need it? Why is it important? Um hasn't the industry existed for hundreds of years before this? And the answer is, yeah, it has. And with the Me Too movement and with the Time's Up movement, we're seeing all of the damage that's been caused with the way that the industry's been run so far. You know, Tonya Sina, who's one of the founders of this field and of Intimacy Directors International, which is where you train. Which is where I am training still. So I'm an apprentice with Intimacy Directors International um, that was founded by Tonya Sina, Alicia Rodas, and Siobhan Richardson. They are sort of the head honchos of this field right now. So I'm very, very privileged to train and, and learn from them and to still be training and learning from them. But the way she talks about it is that you know, people would walk on set, would walk into a rehearsal hall, and a director might behave in a certain way. And and actors would kind of have to say, okay, guess I'm getting sexually harassed today. Because mm. mm-hmm. you have no recourse. You have no HR department, often. No, no recourse. And, and, and every young actor knows that there are hundreds of other people waiting outside the door who will take your job if you throw a fuss, if you're a diva, if you say no. Right? And so it's this field of intimacy direction and intimacy coordination is fighting to change that industry and change that paradigm of saying, actually, this isn't okay. And it's not okay to just abuse our actors. It's not okay. What are some of, like, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's like, but, like, (laughs) what are some of the worst stories you know about from, like, an intimacy choreographer, director not being there? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is... This is the heart for me, and I I imagine that this is the case for many of my colleagues as well. This is one of the hardest parts of the job for me is that I, I hear about the stories that happen. People want to tell you specifically. Yes. And, and so you have to hold that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, and that's part of the, the intimacy director's work, right, is, is holding, holding space for people. Um, and and holding everybody up in a rehearsal room. And when I'm in a rehearsal room, I'm thinking about everybody, right? So I'm not just thinking about, okay, do the actors seem okay? I'm thinking about the director. I'm thinking about the designer. I'm thinking about the PA who's looking a little pale in the corner, right? So it's part of the work. It's a huge part of the work to hold space for everybody and to sort of make sure to always be aware of all of the trauma and the complexities of the vulnerabilities of this work. Um, but yeah, it does mean that I end up being a sort of a, a container, let's say. Yeah. A container 
for horror stories. And I think I've been working as an intimacy director in the Bay Area for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years now. And so in that time, you can imagine, I've heard quite a few stories um, from places within the Bay Area, from places outside of the Bay Area. And I think the worst stories I hear are often from older actors, from people who have been in the industry longer. It's those actors that, you know, everybody's excited about this work, right? Actors particularly. I've never had an actor, I've yet to have an actor be like, this is terrible, this shouldn't exist, right? Intimacy choreography. Yeah, people in general are really grateful for the work. But I find that when I work with actors over the age of 40, it sort of takes on this whole new meaning because they realize all that they've been putting up with for their whole career. Oh, God. And so in that moment, they realize the things that they they didn't know how to say no to. They didn't know they could say no to. They didn't know they were allowed. I think of intimacy direction as like a like a tree. Um, like I like to think that for every actor, director, designer, technician I work with, um, and of course this extends greater right to my my colleagues and those who paved the way for this path, that each actor, each person we work with is like a branch. Um, that they get to sort of sprout off on their own, knowing that they have these tools and they have these options um, and they have recourse. And so hopefully their branch will sprout, sprout other branches and other leaves that they can bring to their next processes. So that's sort of what what keeps me grounded when there happens to be a time where it's, it's a, feels like a barrage um, of hearing horror stories is thinking about the impact of the work and also um, as an apprentice with Intimacy Directors International, I have the privilege of learning from the best, of from learning from the people who fought tooth and nail. So the three founders I mentioned before and, and Claire Warden, who is the first Intimacy Director on Broadway right now. But I get to have them. And so whenever I start to feel overwhelmed, you know, I can reach out to my colleagues who are also apprentices. I can reach out to those who have done so much work to further this field. Um, and and we all have each other's backs, which I think is a really powerful thing because this community of intimacy directors is still so small. There's yeah. there's not many of us. How much farther do you have to go in your training? This training takes place over a couple of years. It's sort of one of the key distinctions between fight choreography is that fight choreo, you know, you could maybe take a day-long class and get a certification in unarmed combat or whatever. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, intimacy direction is not like that. And that is largely because of the complexity of human beings. We're not simple creatures. And you sort of never know when trauma will bubble up or when something will turn in a way that you don't anticipate. Whereas in a fight, uh, I'm not a fight director, so I can't speak eloquently about fights. But in a fight, you know, as long as you know how to keep people safe, you're good. And when we're talking about the human psyche, it's much more complicated to know how to keep people safe. Ultimately, we're not mental health professionals. We we are all required to get a mental health first aid cer- certificate as part of our training. And so that helps, but it's, you know, we're not psychologists. Before you mentioned that you've never had an actor be all skeptical or <laughs> reluctant to mm-hmm. work with you, 
have other types of theater people? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's an astute question. Yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, I you know, I think for the most part, what I've experienced in the Bay Area is largely open arms. And again, that's a huge tribute to all those who who paved the path before me who sort of fought those fights to make sure that I was able to do this work. But yeah, I mean, I think I face sometimes hesitation from directors. I face hesitation from artistic directors or from arts administrators. On what grounds? Well, I think part of it is a fear. Part of it is a fear of, I think, for directors of me stepping on toes of taking their jobs, right? Especially for older directors who've been doing this, you know, some of them longer than I've been alive, that there's this idea that, you know, I'm just going to come in and kind of take over their job because they've been doing this forever. Um, so that's part of it, right, is I think a fear of of letting a person take control. I think part of it is a, is a lack of understanding, people not being clear about what this field is or why they need it. Some people just don't believe that we should have it. There are folks who I've come across in the Bay Area who just believe that ultimately the field is unnecessary and that we're sort of uh, making things too complicated <laughs> and that maybe this is just a, a training that directors should have for a few hours and then that's good enough. Um, we've had people naked on our stages for years. Why do we all of a sudden care now? How do you deal with that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with directors, for me, it's easiest because I'm also a director and I'm trained as a director. So you can speak their language. So I could, yeah, exactly. And so for me, that's the easiest of being able to say, I am not here to take your job. I am not here to misdirect your vision. I'm here to further your vision. I think the fear is often that intimacy direction will sanitize the work, um, that it will make it less gritty or less sexy or oh, – I hate that word, but whatever. Why do you hate that word? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, trying to con I'm trying to get directors to, instead of using the word sexy, use the word charged um, because I think telling an actor to be sexier is incredibly demeaning. <laughs> 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 so I'm trying to uh, – that's, uh, that's a large part of what we do as intimacy directors is about changing the language. That makes a lot of sense. Like, <laughs> Lily, you've been rehearsing for, you know, five hours, but, like, how about you be sexier now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, God. Yeah, be sexier, be dirtier. Those words just – I mean, you hear the way I'm inflecting those words, right? And, yeah. And it's because there's such – there's such a connotation with them. And especially, I think, for young actors, it's just – I think it's it's damaging and it's diminutive. And so if you're saying you want to see more chemistry, fine, right? If it's this moment needs to be more charged, it needs more heat, it needs more tension, those are great words. But I'm trying to move – I'm trying to help, as we all are, trying to move away – from words that sort of place this connotation on, I think, especially young actresses as objects, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Well, you're also making me see how vague the word sexy is. Right. What does that mean? It's, uh, it's, it's like, be better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I feel like I go around screaming, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And because that's what that's what sexy is to me, is like, I don't know what sexy is to you. 
I have no idea. Absolutely none. It's going to be different for every person. So when I work with actors and directors, I try and get them to give me adjectives. Um, that's pretty much how Ariel and I choreographed La Ronde. This is um, Ariel Craft, and this is a previous Cutting Ball production with how many sex scenes? Nine. <laughs> <laughs> All non-naturalistic, which was a, a hefty challenge, but helped through adjectives of this feels aggressive, this feels floofy, <laughs> right? Just whatever the words were, finding things to clean onto that aren't just like... It should be sexy now, right? Because that that doesn't create good art. You you were talking about how you persuade directors. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Uh, and they're like a little bit easier, but some right. of the other folks in the field may be more of a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, when I talk to artistic directors and arts administrators and I pitch it as a companion to fight directors – most people are convinced by that because it, it does start to feel very obvious that just as I would never I, – I'm not a fight choreographer. I would never punch somebody in the face and hope I didn't hurt them or nor in my directing life would I just try and choreograph a fight myself because who knows what would happen. Someone would probably end up stabbed. And so it's the same thing that just because someone has kissed a person before – doesn't actually mean that they are qualified to choreograph it. But I think ultimately, you know, there's still a there's still a fear of the unknown and of course money's a big thing in theater and and do I have enough money to bring on this consultant that I don't know what it is they even do and you know, my first intimacy direction gig in the Bay Area was in the winter of like 2017, 2018 and since then I've what I've been trying to do um, with, of course, with the help of IDI is just sort of plugging right along and just fighting my way into each new company, some of whom come to me. Sometimes I go to them. Well, it seems like you have a ton of work now. Like, yeah, now I do. Yeah, now I'm very busy. Every time we <laughs> talk on Facebook, you've got like, oh, I've got all of these gigs like <laughs> in this month. Yeah, it's it's gotten very busy, which is exciting um, because in those first few months in early 2018, late 2017, it felt like fighting tooth and nail. Mm -hmm. um, and it mm -hmm. felt like I was never – it felt like it wasn't going to take off here. The Bay Area has very quickly proven me wrong. You know, it's an interesting position for me to be in as the only one of intimacy directors, internationals, apprentices who's in the Bay Area um, and in Northern California, actually. Um, got some folks down in L.A. But it is an interesting position for me because, I mean, it's great. It means I get a lot of work. But it also means that it, to me, feels like an enormous responsibility it also sounds lonely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it is. Um, it is lonely, and it, it can feel isolating. Um, and, and that is part of why I'm so grateful to be working with Intimacy Directors International is because aside from all I've learned from them, they also provide a community. You know, if I have a rehearsal that is particularly vulnerable for everyone involved, I am working super hard. I am putting my whole self into keeping everybody afloat. And so that's great. They leave the rehearsal. 
that they feel good and they can move on. And it's been a real journey for me figuring out what it is that I do when I leave rehearsal. How have you? I I, I don't even know what verb to use. (laughs) Like shaken off what you had to take on in rehearsal. Yeah. And I mean, it. Yeah, it's a great question, and that's one that I, I posed to my colleagues um, because I, I didn't know. Um, and I had what I eventually came to was creating really clear rituals for myself that I, I have a ritual that I do before every time I do intimacy choreography, every time I talk about it, every time I go into a re- rehearsal. I did it before I came here, um, that I just have a certain set of songs I listen to. I have a ring I put on. I have a shade of lipstick I wear. I'll roll down my spine, roll back up, kind of shake out my hips a little bit, and then I feel like I'm ready. And I've been doing that with intimacy direction for pretty much the the time I've been doing it because I've always felt really strongly that I needed to get in a really specific headspace and specific place in my body to be able to hold other people that way. But I started realizing that I wasn't doing that on the other end. And that it meant that I I couldn't sleep. I was staying up all night thinking about it, and my brain was going, and and I was feeling it. So I feel my feelings very deeply as a human being, and that really translates to this work. And so I had to find a way to, as I teach in intimacy direction, a huge part of it is closure and making sure that the actors and the directors and the designers and the stage management team and whoever can close themselves up at the end that I I started to realize that I had to be doing that for myself. And so by that you mean like leave it in the rehearsal and then go back out into your regular life as yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean it's, you know, we've got lives to live. Um, And I think there's such a blur sometimes in theater that there is less so in other professions um, where we start to blur our real lives with our characters' lives or our artistic lives and that the feelings that we feel in a rehearsal room might start to bleed into the feelings we feel at home. And part of the point of intimacy direction is to help that, is to help make sure that we too can go home at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, what is your closure ritual now? Yeah, my closure ritual is because I had to try a couple things, <laughs> but I finally found one that works for me. And I found that it is listening to a different style of music. So I tend to listen to like really upbeat stuff beforehand. And I listen to really folksy music after. Sometimes I'll throw a musical theater if I'm feeling festive. But I like to um, listen to stuff that helps me wind down and I dance. I dance, I sing at the top of my lungs in my car, um, or I'll dance it out in a public place, in the street, whatever it is. But I found that having some physical exertion is super helpful in getting it out of my body and being able to close back up. So if I need to think about it, right, if I need to like think through what I'm going to do in rehearsal next time, or if I need to send an email to the stage manager or whatever it is, that's fine. But then I can approach it from my brain and not from all of the feelings I've been carrying with me. So dance party is highly recommended. How did you get into intimacy choreography in the first place? Was it from being a director? Yeah, it was. I, you know, I think a lot of us who do this work have sort of fallen into it from a different field. I'm trained as a director, and in college, I, um, I also 
in college did a lot with consent work and those kinds of things. And so I started getting asked in college, just, you know, friends of mine who were directors working on their directing class scenes or their plays or whatever. Can you come take a look at this? Um, Because I think ultimately because I was comfortable with it, which is a lot more than many people can say. Why do you think you were comfortable? I mean, I think that I am, I just in general am somebody who is, I'm, I make good eye contact. Like I'm someone who has worked really hard at making safe spaces. And that started for me as a teenager in activism work. Um, I started, like I was very involved in high school in social justice. Like what kind of stuff? Oh, you know, women's rights. I led our Gay Straight Alliance and was part of our multicultural leadership team in high school. Um, The first play I ever directed, co-directed, was an original version of the Vagina Monologues that was written by the students at the high school about their experiences. You know, so that's sort of, that's always been at the root of my work. And, And funnily enough, I think I owe a lot of it to Jewish summer camp. Um, which I, I grew up going to Camp Tawanga in Yosemite, and that is an incredibly body positive and human positive and woman positive place. And I think, and it really encourages intimacy, not <laughs> not in a crazy way, but it just it gives kids a space to be vulnerable with and intimate with each other, um, and to have staff who support kids being vulnerable. And so I think growing up with that gave me a comfort with it that I didn't realize was abnormal until I left the Bay Area. How would you advise like folks who, you know, maybe don't have that kind of background or just weren't surrounded with that? Like, I'm tired of being uncomfortable talking about intimacy, like either for theater or for Mm -hmm. anything. Like what What's a good way to, Mm. like, begin? I very intentionally make a fool of myself as early in a process as possible. I'll make a really bad joke or I'll, like, throw myself on the floor as an example of bad choreography or good good choreography, depending on what the play is, I guess. But I, I, I really am intentionally the most aggressively comfortable person in the room. I remember you said that, like when I saw you speak at a mm. conference, and I, I was just like, but what about when she doesn't feel comfortable? Like, what do yeah. you do then? Uh, fake it till you make it. I mean, I think that, <laughs> you know, because ultimately if someone, if I get freaked out in a rehearsal room and I show that I'm freaked out, it's all gonna fall apart. Yeah. Right, like if... If, if the intimacy choreographer can't handle it? <laughs> yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> like if I if I fall apart, then everybody else is going to fall apart too. And That's such a huge burden. Oh my god. It's you know, it's it's just performing for me. Yeah. Um not wow. to say that it's not genuine because of course it is who I am in my non-professional life. I love being home alone, watching Friends reruns, you know, like I I have very introverted qualities, but those are not what comes forward in my professional life. Um, and in my professional life, for me, being an intimacy director, 
it's all about it just exuding that confidence. What I found in terms of comfort is that really when it comes to talking about sex and intimacy, the discomfort for me, at least, comes from stigma. It comes from societal expectations of what is and is not okay to talk about. Um, I I said this at the conference. This is the Theater Bay Area annual yes. conference, listeners. By the way, please continue. Thank you. And I I talk about this a lot as we as we all intimacy directors do that. You know, in theater we do this crazy thing where we will spend hours of table work talking about why the playwright chose one word over another, <laughs> right? Why he brings her a rose and not a lily or whatever it is. And then we get to sex and everyone's like, okay, <laughs> it's the sex. <laughs> Act three. <laughs> you know, and, and when you really think about it, it's crazy. And like <laughs> the kind of intimacy that the characters are having tells an enormous story. And that's what grounds me in the in the discomfort that I, I might secretly feel somewhere in my gut is that ultimately, and this is what intimacy choreography is all about, is that it's about storytelling. And so if characters have a first kiss and we just say, okay, it's a kiss, move on. Well, okay, fine, but is it fun? Is it electric? Is it disgusting and slobbery and wet? Is it? Yeah, yeah. You, you're <laughs> sorry, listeners. I, just, I that sent me to a place for some reason. That I, I had to squirm in my seat there. <laughs> yeah, because it's visceral, and because yeah. using words like slobbery is not pleasant. It's, it's, it's gross. Um, and I think that's a huge part of this work for me is just embracing that it's not going to feel comfortable to talk about right away. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And it's all part of the process. And my hope is just that by the end of the process, you'll be more comfortable than you were before. I'm not expecting everyone to be as comfortable as I am talking about this stuff because I've had a lot of practice at it. I mean, one of the biggest things in terms of comfort that I think about in intimacy direction is saying no. Because you'd be amazed the visceral reactions that women and and really not people who are not cis men have to being asked to say no to something. You think it's going to be easy, and it's shocking. What is the circumstance in which mm-hmm. they would say no? What do you mean? So sometimes when I go in to do work, I'll just go in and choreograph something. But sometimes I will do exercises to sort of acquaint people to this field. And one of the most basic exercises that IDI uses and that I use is there's a classic theater game. Everybody stands in a circle. One person starts, and they look at someone else in the circle, and they say their name or whatever. They just make eye contact, and that person says yes. So I might look at you, Lily, and I would say Lily, and you would say, yes. And then I would come take your spot in the circle, and you would go take someone else's, and and so on and so forth. It's a game that I play with, you know, the kindergartners that I teach. This version of the game gives you the option to say no. And there are many other exercises similar that are encouraging actors to say no when they've been taught to say yes. Um, So it's all sort of a microcosm 
for combating this idea that we've all been taught in theater our whole lives that um, we're supposed to say yes and, right? That's the first rule of improv. That's what we're always told. If directors ask you questions in an audition, say yes. Because again, if I don't say yes, there's 50 women outside the door who will say yes instead. And so intimacy directors are trying to popularize this idea of instead of yes and, no but. Um, So it's saying, no, we're not going to do this, but we'll keep playing this other way. So we're still going to keep going. I'm not shutting the play down. I'm not saying we have to stop rehearsal. I'm just saying, instead of touching me on my neck, can you touch me on my shoulder? And it seems like a basic principle. But it's, it's one of the most fascinating parts of this process for me is because by now, these exercises have sort of no impact on me, right? Like, I can say no like nobody's business. But... <laughs> in my professional life, certainly. But it's been one of the craziest parts of this journey for me is watching what happens to people. And again, particularly women or or folks who are not cis men. And just watching like the crazy thing that comes over them. Their whole body stiffen up. They start to sort of, you know, whatever their nervous habit is, whether it's playing with their hair, tapping their fingers, whatever it is, those nerves start to rise up. Sometimes people cry. Um, People have like a really wide range of reactions. The first time that I challenge them or that we challenge them to say no and what's so crazy about that is that it's like you're watching all of this ingrained, you know, heteropatriarchy and societal expectations and this industry and, and the world. You're watching all that they've lived with their whole life all of a sudden start to bubble up in one 10-minute theater exercise. And so part of my work and, and our work as intimacy directors is really about helping that comfort right so it's not just though equally important let's all get comfortable with talking about the dynamics of how these people have sex but also i i need you to gain comfort with being able to say no because then later in the rehearsal process if you're uncomfortable with something where the stakes are higher, maybe then you'll be able to say no. Exactly. And so it's that's a huge part of the work. I mean, we talk about intimacy direction as being sort of three-pronged. Like it's one part advocacy, one part protocol, setting up systems, and one part choreography, of course. And so that protocols part is setting up systems so that if I'm not there, because I can't be there all the time, um, if I'm not there and they're working a scene somebody still has the still feels that they have the agency to say no um, or to say can we do it this other way can you tell us a little bit about um, the bald soprano which is yeah. the show you're working on at cutting ball right now this marks my first time doing intimacy choreography for a play that is distinctly absurdist and so part of the scene is these two characters engage in an intimate relationship and (laughs) the other characters in the scene are kind of horrified by it. So you think, sure, great, makes sense, checks out. However, what on earth are characters in an absurdist world horrified by? 
Mm. A world with no rules. Yeah. I mean, when the rules of society are different, it becomes a really interesting, complicated job of figuring out, okay, there aren't really rules, but what will feel like it's breaking the rules? And Rob was very clear with me about this part as well um, because I, you know, like I said, I'm always working to further the director's vision. I'm always working very closely with the director. He was very clear that, you know, they're not literally having sex, but they're doing something and it's freaking everybody out. <laughs> I like the use of something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the only word. Um, so we're still, you know, we're still fine tuning. We're still finessing. Um, and... Uh, I think I can safely say that it is going to be bizarre. It is going to be a little animalistic. Uh, and hopefully it's going to be really funny, um, which, you know, it wouldn't be The Bald Soprano if it, if it wasn't funny. So this is The Bald Soprano by Eugene Ionesco. It runs June 5th through 16th at the Exit on Taylor. Maya, thank you so much for being here today. I learned a ton. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so exciting to get to talk about this amazing work. Right on. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. 